Father, this evening once again, we are here in your house. We have come together in your name. And I pray once again you will continue teaching us things that are from old, the ancient parts, the sure parts, your ways, your thoughts. So that we might align our thoughts to your thoughts and our ways to your ways. Speak to us, Father. Give us hearing ears. Give us a spirit of discernment that we will know the truth from error. And that will to receive the truth and obey. Speak, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we continue to study what we've been looking on the Wednesdays, listen to the word of God carefully, let it simmer, meditate upon it, so that you will know what is true, what is not true, and uh, Truth has to be received, and we reject truth, we do it at our own peril. So we've been learning on Sundays on foundations, and on Wednesdays, how God is trying to bring order in our lives. These two are different, yet connected. Foundations are connected with the strength of a structure, so that when the storms of life the day of adversity, the day of evil, whichever way you want to term it comes, our foundations will prove whether we will come through better or bitter, whether we will be defeated as an individual or we will come through as an overcomer. That's where the foundations are important. It's not that you come through. How you come through? Because you may say, I have come through. But the question is, how did you come through? But you came through as a defeated person like Naomi, bitter? Or did you come through as an overcomer ultimately, like Ruth? So that's why we are looking at foundations, and Jesus said about foundations. Be careful about foundations. We hear, we receive, we obey. We hear, we receive, we obey. And our foundations can be strong. So you will also see in history, church history, Israel's history, that the church was tested by both adversity and prosperity. And when persecution came, many whose foundations were weak fell away. That's a story of 2,000 years of church history. And also when there was no persecution, when temptations came with the lure of wealth, many fell away because their foundations were weak. Whether it was Judas or Demas, they did not fall away at the time of persecution. They fell away during good times. So in both cases, foundations were weak. Order on the other side is how God builds subsequently on sure foundations. Order is important because it is connected with the power, the power of God. We saw God created everything in the beginning. In the beginning, that's how the Bible opens. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
but his whole creation fell away from his order because of rebellion of Satan and then man. So God is now at work in a new creation which will be built completely, absolutely according to his order. But this new creation, he's beginning his new creation with us. In the old creation, scripture says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the old creation, it was the heavens, the angelic beings, the earth, and man was last. In his new creation, he's beginning with man through Christ. It begins with Christ, the one who came in the flesh, the man Christ, the son of man. Okay? In the new creation, it is not beginning with heavens and the earth. It's beginning with the man Christ. And then through him, us. And ultimately, we'll end up with a new heaven and a new earth and a new city. So the order is reversed. And Jesus became the seed from which the new creation will begin. That's God's order. That's what we saw in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 22 and 23. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. First Christ, the first fruits, and after those who are Christ at his coming. The order is this, the new creation order it is, it's first Christ. So one thing we will see in Christ, remember we are looking at order, is his complete submission to God, his Father. One thing we see. Because of his absolute submission to his Father, the power of God flowed into his life. Every area of his life, the power of God was flowing. So he is the first as man in the flesh. He is the first true, perfect overcomer. He's the first overcomer in the flesh. So scripture will say, we know that scripture, who was tempted in all points in the flesh, but did not sin. So he overcame sin. The devil tried to tempt him through the world, but did not succeed. He said, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So he overcame sin, he overcame the world, Finally, we know on the cross, he overcame the devil and all his demonic forces completely through the cross. So how did he achieve this threefold victory? He achieved it through the power of the Holy Spirit released in him. And Why did the Holy Spirit fill him so completely and release the power that he needed? Simply because he established the headship of God in every area of his life each day. One, by emptying himself of his self-life. And two, by allowing himself to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, which becomes the life of his Father. Let me tell you, it was not easy. Because he came in the flesh. He came in the flesh. He did not come in the Spirit. He came in the flesh. So he was tempted at all points like us in the flesh. And he had his own will. And he lived, unlike Adam... He lived in an absolutely total corrupt world, not in the pristine, pure garden of Eden. So the test he faced was more than what Adam faced. 
But how did he overcome? What is the key? The key is shown in Hebrews chapter 5 verses 7 to 9. We are so familiar. Who in the days of his flesh. See he came in the flesh as we are in the flesh. In the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him was able to save him from death. This is one of the reasons why scripture records that early in the morning he would rise up without disturbing his disciples. He would go to the garden or a mountain to a secluded place. It's because of the way he prayed. And he didn't want to disturb anybody. Because he's so very considerate that even in the flesh he's a man of the spirit. When he prays, he doesn't want to disturb anybody who's not interested in prayer. So you sleep while I pray. The funniest part is that no disciple ever woke up in the morning and followed him. We need the revelation of God post-resurrection, post-Pentecost to know that this is the way he prayed. From an unknown writer, you don't even know who is the writer of the Hebrews. Whether it was Paul, whether it was Apollos, nobody is very sure. But this was his prayer life. And we have the revelation that in the flesh when he came, this is how he prayed. All these tears and contention in prayer is to bring his life in the flesh under the complete subjection to the will of the Father. That's why he's praying like this. Because his flesh is just like our flesh. And he's got a will. And every day his flesh is telling him, do this, do this, do this. And he knows that he has to establish the headship of his father in every area. And for that he needs to do one thing. One thing he has to bring his flesh, empty his flesh, bring it at subjection. And then the father will release the Holy Spirit. So this is the reason for his prayer. And much of our prayer life is connected with receiving from God, not the cry from within to bring our flesh under the subjection of the Holy Spirit. That's where our prayer life differs radically from the prayer life of Jesus Christ. And scripture will say that he was made perfect in the flesh. He was walking in the flesh, verse 9, having been perfected. He's made perfect in the flesh. He's made, he's an, he's the only man who was absolutely subject to the will of the Father from the beginning till the very end. And he's made perfect. And when he's been made perfect, he becomes the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. Meaning, now, all those who come to him, if they allow his headship to be made real in our lives, like he made the headship of his father real in his life, he says, he becomes the source of eternal salvation. We are saved, we are being saved, we can be utterly saved, made perfect. Only difference, unlike him, we will fall. But when we fall, he has made us the way that we partake of the atonement which he bought for us. And God declares us without sin. So he becomes the author of salvation. So what is our major struggle? Our major struggle as believers, especially as believers who have been studying, hearing the word for years. I'm talking about those of you who are hearing here today consistently our major struggle as believers is not the knowledge of the truth we have the knowledge of truth we know what is right what is wrong 
We know what is the truth is. In scripture, scripture says that people perish, my people perish because of lack of knowledge. Nobody here has lack of knowledge. You know exactly what is expected of us. We know from God. In Romans 6 verse 12 to 14, we know this. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. Do not present your members of your body, that is members of your body, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but to present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. We know this. What is the first thing we know? We know that sin should not have dominion over us. Because we are not under law but under grace. But we have not ever heard about grace that way. We have told about grace is the license to say that you can fall, God understands. But scripture says that is not the knowledge of truth. The people who fell under the law always excused. They did not have the power of God's grace, the power of his Holy Spirit. But he says you should not be falling like them because you are under grace. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have the knowledge of the truth that sin should not have dominion over us. Second, we have this knowledge too. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world, for anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But you say, Pastor, but I can't help it. I go out and I see all these things. And you know, I like it. What scripture says? He says, don't. In 1 John 5 verse 4, it says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. So we have the knowledge of truth that if you are born of God, you not only overcome sin, you also overcome the world. You have the knowledge of truth. And then to add misery for the believer, Revelation 12.11 says, and they overcame him, the devil also. So we now have this knowledge of truth. There are people, a set of people in history who overcame sin. They saw to that sin did not ultimately have dominion over them. They overcame the world and they overcame the devil too. We know this too. Overcoming sin, the world and the devil. So you know what happens? Average Christian hangs his head in defeat. Because we know we have the knowledge of the truth. But we know we are no witness of the life of Christ. Because the life of Christ overcomes. Christ overcomes sin. Christ overcomes the world. Christ overcomes the devil daily. So the question is, why are we defeated? Not because of lack of knowledge. No, because we know. We know. We know every promise. We know scripture quite well. We are are theologians now. We know. But we are defeated because of the lack of power. Not because of lack of knowledge. That's why in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus said, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. Immediately we think it about ministry. God is not even talking about ministry here. Ministry is a gift. Ministry is a gift. You read First Corinthians, you don't have to go there, chapter 12. You will see these are ministerial gifts and the gifts will operate. Gift is something that you do to somebody else outside. But this is talking about being the witness to the life of Christ. He says, what you will receive is, you will receive power to be my witness. And don't confuse power with gifts and miracles. So we will see to the church in Corinth, which is full of gifted people, 
had absolutely defeated in their lives to the point they are so defeated they have a man in the church probably actively involved in ministry who is living with his stepmother that's how defeated they are not just the congregation the eldership also has said chalega kya karenge is very gifted understand what god is talking about they're so defeated are they christians yes do they have gifts yes are they overcomers no forget small sins now sin is rampant absolutely they're right in the middle where paul says a kind which even gentiles will not accept defeated that's why those letters are written to them so god points out the reason the reason is they have no power and the reason they have no power is because they have no order in their lives or in their church there is no order because it's through god's order god's power is released to overcome they just have gifts even the use of gifts in that church only brought more disorder and more confusion so god through paul is writing to all churches how god's order has to be implemented restored in the lives of god's people and god's church so that power can be released to become witnesses witnesses of his life the overcoming life of jesus in persecution or adversity or in prosperity good times or bad times we witness the life of christ because each one will face both adversity and prosperity and both are tests so you will see as we've been looking the past wednesdays god begins with a basic unit or the building block which is the individual and the family man woman children the church that's how the church is composed but he didn't first give us commands first he sent his son as our example to show the way of the kingdom life how that kingdom life is lived in the power of the holy spirit let me warn you again nobody can live that life without the power of the holy spirit knowledge alone is not sufficient knowledge without power will only make you miserable miserable the knowledge without power it is impossible the disciples were full of knowledge and understanding especially after resurrection of the kingdom life they had both had theory lessons and practical lessons but to them too his instruction was what wait till you receive power if there was one set of people who could have gone straight away it was them but god said no wait until you receive power and once they received power they became witnesses of the living christ when the struggle became intense they realized the answer was more power and god was more than willing to give them more power more and more but the key to receiving the power was one submission he only told them like adam and eve was only told one thing don't eat from this tree you need from every tree or oh, submission to one rule one rule the disciples were told only 
one thing. Wait in Jerusalem until you receive power. Promises there, the Holy Spirit will come. But wait in Jerusalem. Not wait where you are. When he spoke to them, they were in Bethany. He didn't say Bethany is a nice place. You can wait there. He didn't say that. He didn't say you can wait anywhere. He says no, wait in Jerusalem. Paul will say the Lord appeared to over 500 disciples. But we know the only ones who waited were 120. From Bethany, they moved to Jerusalem and they waited. The key was, one set of people submitted. We know the key from Isaiah. The key is, Jesus said, if you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the best of the land. That is Christ's life. 120 were willing and obedient. And you saw, we saw on the day of Pentecost, they received power. They received power. So over the Wednesdays, we have been seeing the life of Christ in brief. God is the head of Christ. And how Christ lived it out. Last week, we saw Christ is the head of man. And when man does not allow Christ's headship to be established slowly, but surely, in each area of his life, he will be defeated in his walk. God is not the only one who tells you what to do, but if you are willing, he is also the one who gives us the power to do it. That's the difference. The law won't do that. That's why scripture says you are not under law, you are under grace. The law is like the policeman. Don't. It's like the rules. Don't overtake. Does that signboard help you? doesn't help you. The difference between grace and law is grace tells you don't. And then grace helps you to keep it. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Grace is not like the law which says don't. Grace is the power of God when we ask and we receive which helps us to keep it. But God's power can only come where there is submission to God's word, to his authority. The problem is the church has been fooled by heresies where it confuses victory or overcoming. That victory or overcoming means you possess an abundance of wealth or health or you are operating in gifts. So you may see a person, let's say a pastor, he is six feet three inches, healthy, he comes in a murk, and he operates in gifts. And you must think, he definitely must be an overcomer. But if you look at Revelation 3, verse 17, because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy, have need of nothing. This is a church of the last days which is actually come to a self-awareness. I don't need anything from you. I don't need anything from you. I'm complete. They have no need of anything. And God says, you know what? You're so full of yourself that you do not know your actual condition. Outwardly, this church seems to be like victorious. Inwardly, they are absolutely defeated. 
absolutely defeated. Solomon had wealth that could not be counted, but he was absolutely defeated in his inner life. Samson had incredible health and strength, was an incredibly defeated man in his life. Balaam and Judas and quite a few others had gifts and operated in genuine prophetic gifts and was absolutely defeated in their personal lives. Victory or overcoming is not connected with outward things. It is connected with the three areas we saw. Sin shall not have dominion over you. You shall overcome the world and you shall defeat the devil. And God says, power is available for that. The very power of the Holy Spirit. Are you understanding what overcoming means? So then what is the cry of our heart? Is this the cry of our heart? One of the purposes of the teaching ministry is to really turn our hearts towards God. In Psalm 84 and verse 2, this is how scripture says, My soul longs, yet even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Okay? My soul longs, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. The courts of the Lord is where his presence is. That's where the king sits. The king sits in his court. That is where his presence is. So here the psalmist is saying, my soul is longing to be in the presence of my king, of my God. You see, an order is given over there. We know the order. We have the knowledge of the order, but we don't meditate, ponder upon God's order. We sing it. We have sung it. We know it. Yet we don't know it. Because that's probably the one song everybody sitting here probably knows. What is that song? I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart and his courts with praise. That's the order of how we enter into God's presence. Gates is where judgment took place. And when the righteous judgment takes place in my life, even though I am termed guilty, and I receive mercy, my reaction has to be praise. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I will enter his gates and his courts with, then we go into his presence with, what an awesome God. What a wonderful God. Who am I that you should be mindful of me? Why should you even let me into your presence? Okay, we know the order. This is the order. But see whether we practice that order. This is a normal victorious man's order. And it doesn't have to do anything with outward circumstances. So in the new covenant, we will see a man worshipping like that in Revelation 1, 9 and 10. I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. There he is. Old man in his late 80s or early 90s. Weak, broken, exiled, all alone, 
no companionship no fellowship nothing going through tribulation because of the word of god and scripture suddenly says i was in the spirit on the lord's day i entered his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise and i am in his presence and i can hear his voice as loud as a trumpet as loud as a trumpet are we getting the picture he is worshiping with thanksgiving and with praise and is there right in the presence from an earthly presence god literally transports him to the courts of god in heaven so psalm 84:2 the ministry of word through the psalmist we know it it we are defeated but the word of god creates that desire my soul longs if you really want to come into his presence our soul must long and faint for this my soul longs my soul faints what does it mean my soul faints it means my self life comes to an end my heart and my flesh is crying out for the living god my self life is actually tuned to something else but here my soul longs it has it faints it loses its strength for the world instead it is crying out my heart and my flesh is crying out for the living god okay heart is the seat of the inner life flesh is the seat of the outer man so the psalm is saying my inner man is crying out for the living god and my outer man is also crying out for the living god when our whole being cries out for the living god jesus said this is what luke 10:27 means he said you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength and with all your mind when your inner man and outer man longs for god god says that is what it means to love god with all your heart all your might all your strength but the problem is you cannot do this on your own for that we need again the power of god the power of the holy spirit and we need the understanding this is something which god does in us and god does through us in deuteronomy 30 and verse 6 this is the promise given the lord your god will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live now this is an old covenant promise actually given to the new covenant church because this does not happen in the old covenant the lord your god who will do it god will circumcise our heart and the heart of the new covenant descendants god says i will do it that you love god with all your heart all your might all your strength and paul will explain to us through the holy spirit or holy spirit through paul in romans 2:29 he who's a yahud the one who truly praises god i will enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise one who truly praises is one who's 
inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, from God. So Paul takes Deuteronomy 36 and says, it is the Holy Spirit that does it. It's not man. It is, cuts away all that takes us away from God. First, there has to be a cry. You have an understanding. I have an understanding. Lord, this is how the psalmist prayed. And this is what Deuteronomy 30 says. This is what Paul says. Therefore, I have an understanding. This is what I am meant to be, Lord. Now, Father, this is my cry. I am helpless. Circumcise my heart. And things will start happening. Because when he circumcises your heart, he removes from your life all the things of the flesh, all the things of the world, that to which you are attached, that has come between you and God. And it is painful. And you need to realize God sovereignly, supernaturally, because you are crying out to him with understanding, he is moving in your life and don't fight. Don't fight. Because he said, I take on your word seriously. And that should be our prayer, like the apostles taught us to pray in Ephesians 3. For this reason, 14, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. First, he brings to the basic unit. He says, you know what, God has got a family on in heaven. The saints, the angelic hosts who are obedient and who are there. God has got a family on earth, a set of children who are trying to please the Father. And the whole up and down together is a family. Okay? That he would grant you, what? According to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. He says, this is my prayer. This might, strengthened with might, is dynamis, power. That you would empower your inner man. This is my prayer. That you would empower your inner man through his spirit. That's his prayer. This is a prayer. These things we cannot do on our own. We pray and he does. But desire has to change. If you're consistently hearing the word of God and choose not to miss hearing the word of God, as the ministry of the word of God happens and you listen and you hear and you listen, your desire changes. That's the purpose of the ministry of the word of God, to change our desires from the world to the world. Same thing happens in the world. Why do we like so many things of the world? Because we indulge in it more and more and more. So that desire was created. God says, make a choice. And change your desires. And God says, I will give you the power, the exosia. No, sorry, dynamis, the power. Okay. So the order is created. First, God has got a family. He is the father. And he's got a family in heaven. A family on earth. These are basic units. And Paul has an earthly spiritual father to the church. He's saying, this is my cry as a father. That you really, really understand and cry out. That you may be strengthened with dynamis, with power through his spirit. Where? In the inner man, not the outer man. First in the inner man. Once it is expressed in the inner man, it is slowly expressed in the outer man so that we become a witness of Christ. As Christ, when he lived, was a witness of the Father and the Father was glorified. That's what the next verses will say. 17. That Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Who may dwell? Christ may dwell in your inner man. Heart is a seat of your inner man. In your man by faith. That you're being rooted and grounded in love. 
What have you rooted and grounded in? We still didn't understand it because we always, when we hear the word love, we always think in terms of the world. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What love is he talking about? He's saying, if you are established in faith, when your inner man is strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit, your heart will be filled with the same love Christ had for his father. You will love God the way Christ loved God. That's what he's talking about. The width, the breadth, the height, the depth. It is beyond all. Nobody can understand how Christ loved his father. Christ loved his father. He loved his father. Till the point of death. There's nothing could make him do or say one thing against his father. Even when his father turned his face away, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the point of death, he still says, my father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He loved his father. He says, you will be able to love God with the same love. And because Jesus loved his father with incredible love which we cannot even comprehend. He submitted to the Father in all things. The Father filled him with the Spirit and he was the fullness of the Father that appeared to us. And God says, when you walk like that, you will also experience the fullness of God. Not the way Jesus experienced, but each one of us, however small or big we are, he says, you can contain the fullness of God in your container fullness of God. So it will be God in Peter, God in Samir, God in Aaron, and people are seeing different facets of the same God. Because you have allowed yourself to be filled with God because you allowed the spirit to strengthen your inner man and you suddenly realize, you know what? I love God. And this is not like me. Like Christ loved his father. That's what God is saying. That Christ may dwell in your hearts. Grounded and rooted in love. And this is his prayer. This is his prayer. And see, we take 20 and we use it in isolation. The funny part is that everybody knows. Most people sitting here knows verse 20. And they will use verse 20 in isolation with every other context except loving God. Honestly, can you be honest? Isn't that true? That to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, we apply it with our jobs, with our relationships, with career, everything. But that's not actually what it is talking about. He says, much more you can think or imagine, you will be able to love God like you have never loved God. He will do it through you. Exceedingly, abundantly, through the power of the Holy Spirit that you are able to submit, you are able to obey and you become a witness of the life of Christ because you overcome. Because you overcome. This knowledge is beyond comprehension. And then what happens? To him, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. To him, who is that him here? It's God. To him, be all the glory. Through whom? Through Christ who is living through us. 
to all generations god is glorified because power has come power has come because order has been established through submission and god is glorified through all generations it's not just one generation that's why scripture says even though abel is dead he still speaks peter and paul are dead they still speaks and brings glory to whom glory to god So God says when we allow him to fill us he's able to do more than you and I can imagine. Can you imagine the surprise of the apostles 10 days in Jerusalem heart searching emptying cleansing and then on the day of Pentecost they were filled. Peter stepped forward and the rest is history. A few days later Peter and John again step forward into the public place absolutely confident we know what we don't have that's good we know what we have or rather we know whom we have hearts established in love in Christ Jesus Christ Jesus I give you when order is restored power flows and overcomers are manifested problem is sometimes you are so obsessed by ministry why because we see validation before the public eye in our ministry because all we experience inside is defeat ministry should be a natural outflow of the victory we experience inside That's why John is able to say he must increase and I must decrease if more are gathering around him and less around me it's perfectly fine why inside I'm victorious doesn't matter understand as a sub issue we need to understand we forget the words of Jesus that you can do nothing without me absolutely nothing That's why he said wait till you receive power. So when we come to order because we need power when a man ministers scripture makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 4 every man praying or prophesying have his head covered dishonors his head. If the father was revealed in Jesus life in everything he did he was revealed and he was glorified why because when jesus ministered or whether he lived or ministered he unveiled or revealed his head his father he always revealed his father so god says when we minister public space when we minister we do if we unveil or reveal our head jesus through total submission to his voice he says every man this is now talking about ministry and in ministry you need power any man who ministers with his head covered we are not talking about physical covering over here today we are looking at much deeper he says if you are ministering and at the end of the ministry 
He, people went from your presence by saying, what a great preacher, what an astounding man. And they did not go convicted by saying, oh God, you spoke to me. Oh God, what a wonderful God. I understood more about God today. You have covered him and revealed yourself. At the end of your ministry, what happens? Do people talk about Jesus and his word? Or do people talk about you and your flamboyance and eloquence? Did you cover? Or do you uncover? Did you uncover your head? Whenever Jesus ministered, he always uncovered the Father. He wouldn't even let somebody casually on the spur call him good master. Immediately he stopped and said, why do you call me good? It's only one good. It's my father who's good. So scripture says about man, God says, we minister, we should also unveil our head Jesus and that come through total submission to his voice. And Jesus was absolutely submitted to the voice of his father through the spirit. He says, I will not do anything what I haven't seen my father do. I will not speak anything what I have not heard my father speak. And he says, my meat is to do the will of my father. And he says, I am always in his presence. He has never left me because I always do what he pleases. And God says, that's the same order which I have given you. Reveal Jesus. Through the power of the Father. God says, if you do, you too will overcome. Everything the Father wanted Jesus to do, he did. Because he was willing to uncover his head. Or reveal the headship of God. God says, everything that I want you to do, we too can. If you are willing to uncover or unveil our head, Jesus Christ in total submission to Christ. He says, you can also do. On the other hand, we looked at that man last week, on the other hand, concerning woman, in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 5, but every woman who prays or prophecies, we will put these terms of ministry, with her head uncovered, dishonors her head. Suddenly, there is a tangent shift. On the other hand, concerning woman, He says, if a woman ministers, prays or prophecies with her head uncovered, she dishonors her head. A woman's head is a father or a brother or if married, a husband. It's man. That also we will see. While a man uncovers his head by submission to Christ, a woman covers her head by submission to her head man. Both is connected with submission. Please note this. She is not asked to cover her head all the time. She is only asked to cover when she ministers. Because ministry is the work of God done through an individual. Therefore it is the witness of Christ to the glory of the Father. So scripture says... Since the head of the woman is man, when she ministers, let her cover her head so that the glory of her man is not released. Instead, only Christ is unveiled. Okay, we are not even talking about physical covering here, which we have done. We may come back to it some other day. We are not looking at the spiritual aspect. If she is not submitted to her head, 
man, she cannot come into the presence of Christ or presence of God. There are two words when it talks in the letters that are used to speak to the woman and submission. One is hupataso, we know hupataso means to come under in order. And the other one is hupatesh, I'm not good in Greek, I just learned it from English. T-A-G-E, I think it's hupatesh, which means to be in subjection to. One is to be under in order, the other means to be in subjection to. In Ephesians 5.22, it is supertasso, that means to come in order under. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. A woman cannot be subject unto the Lord and bypass her husband. You cannot. It's simple scripture. It's not ordered. In Colossians 3.18, wives, submit your own husbands as it fitting in the, in the Lord. Now it's a very, very dicey area we have to go because scripture says submit as unto the Lord and second it says as fitting in the Lord because there's a lot of abuse when we use the word submission. The question is, is a woman to submit to her husband if he requires her to do something that is directly against the word of God? It's a very difficult question to answer and must be dealt case by case. There's no general anesthesia or general antibiotic for this. You have to deal it with case by case. Let's look from scripture. Okay? We know twice Abraham asked Sarah to be deceptive and hide the fact she was his wife and say she was his sister. You will see Sarah was obedient to the voice of her husband. And because she was submissive and obedient to the voice of her husband, Sarah covered her head in submission. And God's power was released in that situation. In both instances, both with Pharaoh and Abimelech, God intervened. And his power was released. And God protected her and brought her out. In both instances, you will see, Abraham did not bring glory to God, but Sarah did. Point and you have to note here is that remember, do according to your strength of your faith. That's all I can tell you. According to the measure of your faith. Sarah had, you may not have. Seek counsel. You according to your situation. God will speak about Sarah's obedience thousands of years later and make it a point in his kingdom. In 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 6, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and not afraid with any terror. She would have been terrified, but she was not terrified. She said, this is what my husband asked me to do, and he's the Lord of my life, and I will submit. Was Abraham right? No. Was Sarah right? Yes. Who got, Who did? What did God do? He intervened. Sarah, Abraham was not always right in his decisions. But Sarah trusted God and came under order. Called Abraham Lord and obeyed. If you are willing and obedient. Why is that mentioned here? Because this is connected with submission.
When she submitted and came under authority, God's word says, God's power came. When she came under subjection to her head, then she was not responsible for the outcome of her actions, but it was God. Peter will write, that the women of old who trusted in God were in submission to their own husbands. In First Peter 3 verse 5. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women. If I am right, that is the only place in the Bible where holy is used with women. Not that women are not holy. God says, a holy woman in the kingdom of God is in God's sight is connected with how much she submits to her man. A holy man in the kingdom is identified with how much he submits to Christ. And Christ was the holiest because he submitted to the Father in everything. That's how God looks at holiness. Then the question arises, what if my husband is not submitted to God or is not saved? Okay. What if my husband is not saved? That is why you have to start with alphabets. Proper order in a marital relationship must begin before marriage, not after. That is why God admonishes his people in 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked with husband. He says, okay. After you got married and then you got saved, now your husband is an unbeliever and you're coming me with all these problems, I have different advice to give you. But for all those who are young here and unmarried, God says I have something else to tell you. What is it? It applies to both men and women. Don't be unequally yoked in a marriage with an unbeliever. But the Bible was written to the set of people who are all converts. Everybody is a convert. Nobody is born a Christian. Everybody has to be born again a Christian. So even if you are a Jew from the time of Abraham, you still have to be born again as a Christian. So everybody in the kingdom of God, when these letters are being written here, you have Judaic Christians and the Gentile Christians. So there were many, 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 many Gentiles who got saved where their spouse was unsaved. So if your husband is unsaved, it does not change the fact he is still the husband and made the head of woman by commandment. And if the unbelieving husband wants to stay in the marriage, you are stuck like Chuck. No options. It's scripture. 1 Corinthians 7.13 And a woman has a husband who does not believe if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. It's law in the new covenant. So you can't leave. But Lord, he doesn't allow me to go to church. God says, sit down and stay there. He doesn't allow me to read my Bible. Sit down and stay there. Because the covenant is over and above your temporal situations. She is free only if her unbelieving spouse chooses to leave. That's also given. 1 Corinthians 7.15 If the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. Then he says you are free. Now don't use this as an excuse to make his life so miserable that he has no option but leave. 
you have not glorified Christ a bit. Take like sharp lawyers, you just subverted the law. Again, Peter will say, now not Paul, but God through Peter will say, two sisters caught in this situation. Because the whole question is not about a believing sister married to an unbelieving man. It's the question, issue rises because of submission. Because she has to submit to him as fit to the Lord. So there is the kingdom that comes into play. She can't live the way he wants her to live. She has to live the way God wants her to live. Yet he is the head and she has to submit to him. That is where the friction comes. So to them, Peter will say, or God will say through Peter, Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct, accompanied by fear. This word fear is actually reverence. So what does God say? God says, you can win your unbelieving husband without a word. When they see the life of Christ being manifested in you through submission. When they observe your conversation, KJV will say, a chaste conduct. That's a very life of Christ. With reverence towards your husband. 2.16 For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. For it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Then read verse 14. 2.14 Yet you say to you, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by the covenant. What does God say? God says, I am a witness. The people who are a witness at your marriage, and I am a witness of your marriage at home. And you have dealt with her treacherously. Or dealt with him treacherously. And there is violence in the marriage. And I hate it because it will lead to divorce. When there is violence in a marriage, what do you counsel? What do I counsel? I say, separate for a season if it is unbearable. After all options are over. First try every option. And if every option doesn't work, then separate for a season. Why? Because God said so. First Corinthians 7. Now to the married I command you, yet not I but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, God says, knows. There will be situations where she will depart. Because of violence. Let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. You have to look at it in every case, case by case, because this is connected with kingdom, it's connected with order, it's connected with authority, it's connected with power. So God says, be careful, don't just jump the gun, go through it case by case. If you understand scripture, in this chapter especially, 1 to 11 are addressed to normal circumstances where both believe. 
where both believe. First eleven. Verse twelve onwards is being written to those where husband and wife. One could be a believer, what could be an unbeliever. So verse 12 will begin by saying that to the rest, if I'm right. Verse 12 will say a, a different context altogether. Okay, it doesn't matter. So man, so let's come back now. We have looked at this because it has to be told because when you tell woman you have to come under authority, you always have to teach about abuse. Okay, because one thing the man never has to worry about coming under authority of Christ is Christ never abuses. So he doesn't have to be taught about that. A smoking flax he will not put off. A bruised reed he will not break. He is absolutely gentle. He may discipline. He may spank the daylights out of you. But he doesn't abuse. And everything he does is right because it's aimed towards our righteousness but not necessarily men. Therefore, God has put these protective clauses over there. But let's come back to submission, power and authority. In 1 Corinthians 11.7, scripture says, yeah, let's go back, 11.7. Man is the image and glory of God. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. Man is the glory of God. Therefore, whatever he does, he has to glorify God. He has to, while woman is the glory of man. Okay, this is connected with covering. Glory is a Greek word doxa from which we get doxology, which means dignity, honor, praise. Sisters, married sisters, remember. Scripture says, when you come under God's order, actual order, through submission, and when power is released into your life, you will bring dignity, honor, and praise to your husbands. While man, when he comes under that order, will bring dignity, honor, and praise to Christ. While Christ brings dignity, and honor, and praise to the Father. That's why when she is praying or prophesying, let her cover her head so she did not bring dignity, honor or praise to her husband. But let her cover that. In Ephesians 5.33, the scripture that is used over there is, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects Reverse honors different translations a husband. The Holy Spirit does not promise, like I said, that by rebellion, by nagging, by threats or complaining about your husband to others, he will be won over. God says no. We saw that already in First Peter three one. But is said through a godly attitude and submission, he may be won over. Even though the ungodly husband does not deserve it, the godly wife will be his glory. Can you imagine after the two incidents what people must have been saying quietly in the tents about Sarah? Wow, what a woman. And of Abraham, not loudly but quietly, what a jerk. She brought glory to her husband. 
You need to see the difference. Abraham had two sons. Why this is important in order. They were born by two mothers. The first two sons. And they, these two sons are marked out by their mothers. One is marked out by Sarah, the godly, submissive mother who will birth an Isaac, who will be a godly, submissive son who will actually allow his father to tie him onto the altar. The second one, or the one who was born in the first, but the second one in order, is Hagar. Listen to the mother, Genesis 16, 8-9. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, very clear. Why do you, I mean, Sarah doesn't know, Hagar doesn't know. See, you have to be very careful when God addresses people. What is he telling? He's talking about order. He could have said, Hagar. He didn't say, he said, Hagar, know your position. You are Sarah's maid. Where have you come from? Where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord, angel of the Lord, Jesus said, return to your mistress and submit yourself under a hand. Know the two mothers. Sarah will come under the authority of her husband and will allow herself to be taken into the king's palace. Hagar will run away from Sarah rather than submit to her. So what does she birth? She will birth in verse 12. Scripture says, 16, He shall be a wild man, your son. Wild man. His hand shall be against every man. Every man's against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brother. What will be known as? He'll be known as the ultimate rebel because that's your spirit passed on to him. Sarah is the one who came under the hand of God, under the hand of her husband, and therefore she will pass it on to Isaac. The transference, the spirit of the mothers. Obedience to God's word and his order releases the power of God to act in any situation. It is God's desire that the husband and wife walk together in him, in the order he has established from the beginning. It's an order he has established from the beginning. It has not changed. In 1 Corinthians 11, 8 and 9, he says, For man is not from woman, but woman is from man. Nor was man created for woman, but woman for man. He says the order doesn't change. That's the order. It has never changed. Paul will say in 1 Corinthians eleven thirteen. Judge among yourself. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? So judge among yourself. Meaning, do you think a woman should pray if she is not submitted to her head? If she is not submitted to her head, man, how can she be submitted to Christ? The same context you should say, is it proper that a man should pray when he is not submitted to Christ? He's using logic here. He says, judge among yourself. If a woman is not submitted to her husband or her father, do you think she should minister? Let's look at the same logic. God uses logic also in the Bible. 1 John 4.20 If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Why? For he does, if he, who, if he, who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? What's God saying? If you cannot love your brother whom you can see, 
it is easier. Don't come and tell me you love God, whom you cannot see. The same context Peter is saying, or Paul is saying, if you cannot submit your husband who is there with you daily before your eyes, don't come and say, I submit to God. He says, doesn't work that way. We cannot come into his courts, his presence, until we come into his order. And there are no bypasses or shortcuts to this order. So the question, simple question we need to ask is that, am I overcoming daily? And if knowledge of it's there and power is available, why is it not happening? God's perfect order was in the garden. And as long as man operated in that order, he could remain in the garden in the very presence of God. But when the order was broken, order was broken. And it was very deliberately done. Absolutely deliberately done. Because the devil doesn't come to Adam, he comes to Eve so that she would break the order. He came to Eve. All Eve had to say is that, I don't know, go ask my husband. Until we return to God's order, we cannot return to God's garden, his presence. Understand few simple things. God is not going to change to accept us. We must change. And power has been given to change. That is what John 1, 12 and 13 says. As many as you received him, he gave them the right, the power to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name. What kind of children? Not those who are born, not of blood, not of the will of flesh, but not the will of man, but of God. He gave them the power, one, to become the children and to become born of God. That is the same John who will say in 1 John 5, 4, everyone born of God overcomes the, the world. How do you overcome the world? Simply by changing your thinking patterns. If you are born of God, learn to think like God. And come under it. If you are born of the flesh, think like the world and perish. And God says, when you think, and the power is released, you become more and more a son or a daughter of God. So when a woman enters to pray, like a man who enters to pray, she should be absolutely sure that she is in proper order with her head covered so that her prayers are heard under submission. And then the power of prayer will be released in her husband's life and her children's life. The man too, when he stands to pray, must stand with his head uncovered. Submitting to Christ. And how did Christ show us as we close? In this manner. In Ephesians 5, 25 to 28. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify, cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Everything Christ is doing for the church is so that he can present the church to himself. And he cleanses and sanctifies her with the ministry of the word. 
And God says, when men do it that way, He says, you have to do it that way. There's no another way given to you. It's that way it's given to you. So God says in 1 Peter 3 verse 7, we are closing. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to a weaker vessel. How do you deal with a weaker vessel? How do you deal with a weaker vessel? God says honor. Not just honor as to any vessel. As a weaker vessel. Meaning more patience. More long suffering. Why? Because they may think they are strong but they are weak. Why? Because they are strong in emotions. They are strong in emotions. Very strong in emotions. So God says as a weaker vessel be more patient. You don't react like them. As weak a vessel, because remember, you are heirs together of the grace of life. That your prayers may not be hindered. God says the woman's prayers can be hindered. And man's prayers also can be hindered. So be very careful how you react. Why? Because for God, both are out of Adam. They are not two. But they are one. They are joined heirs. That's what Genesis 1.27 will tell us. For God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Both were in Adam. He just separated them. They are not two. They are one. So God says, let there be order in the home. Let there be order in the home. And as I close... Finally, remember, the kingdom of this world is the kingdom of the devil. And it is based on the principle of rebellion. The kingdom of God is the kingdom established by Christ. And it is based on the principle of submission. And we know where we stand. Are we building a life, a home, based on the principle of rebellion? Or are we building a life, a home, and ultimately the church on the principle of submission? Men shall we pray. Father, we just come to you this evening knowing that this is your desire, not just as God, but as a father. As a father, you want every son, every daughter to overcome. Finish the race as an overcomer. And for that, you have given us your spirit. Spirit available without measure. Power unlimited to overcome sin. To overcome the world. To overcome the devil. But that power is released. Only when we come under authority. The way your son showed us. All of us struggle, Lord, with this. But this is the truth. And when we believe and obey the truth, the truth will set us free. Scripture says, Sarah had no fear. When she obeyed her, 
her husband Abraham and was taken both to Pharaoh's palace and Abimelech's palace. She had no fear. Because by submitting to her husband under God's order, she was putting her future in your hands. And you intervened and honored her for her submission and for her faith. And Abraham obeyed you and stepped into Canaan. You met him at the altar. Every one of them experienced you when they came under authority and obeyed. You are the same God. You do not change. And you have shown us the way. The way is narrow. The gate is straight. And you said very few will find it. But we pray we find it. And you walk in it. Each day, Lord. And when we fail, to come quickly back to you. So that we do not continue with our defeated lives. But we reign in life as you reigned in life. So that we might glorify the Father in everything. Thank you for bringing your children to your place. As they go back home, reach them, each one home, safely, Lord. We just surrender our lives into thy hands. For in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.